0: Who we are generally changes when Jesus takes his rightful place in our lives. Until you stop seeing Jesus as the big bad boss who's gonna smack you over the head with a hammer every time you fail, you will never be emotionally well. You gotta get to the point when you see him for who he really is. Your heavenly father who looks down and says, Jeff, I can't believe you did that. If you would just follow my way, you would be emotionally healthy. But you know what, Jeff? I still believe in you. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines, online and on air around the world. Today, we're continuing with Pastor Jeff's Awakening series. In this message, Pastor Jeff discusses how, as believers, we are called to live life to the full, risking and trusting in God. Today we're reminded we have grace in abundance. So why do we hold on to our worries and our selfish dreams? Here's Pastor Jeff with the remainder of this message. problems of my own, right? I've shared that. I've been, I've been very honest. Folks, if you knew the sin in my life, you'd never listen to me. If I knew the sin in yours, I'd never talk to you, so it's okay. <laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm saying, listen, what I'm saying, I don't always get it right, neither do you, but I know this. I can't blame the past. Jesus says, what are you going to do now? And folks, out of that deep pit and I try to hide And I will confess, man, I came out of it. My countenance was lifted because I was at Dodger Stadium on Friday when the Angels whipped us. And my and my countenance was even lifted higher last night. So, and that, that just goes to show you how shallow I am. That something like a sport could lift me out of my state of emotional turmoil. You see what I mean? The good news of the gospel is this if I will commit myself to doing what Jesus says to do, being who Jesus says to be, and living like Jesus said I should live, you will get healthy again. You will be made well. It may not happen overnight, but you'll be on a journey and you'll come to that place in your life when one day you'll realize I am emotionally healthy. And you get to decide today. You say, Jeff, I can't. Why not? Well, it's risky. What are you gonna risk? I might be disappointed. That's your life now. There's no risk. There's none. When you walk out of the door, I'm begging you. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Be who he tells you to be. Live like he tells you to live and you will find what you're looking for. Here's the second thing quickly. Who we are, according to sociologists, who we are and what we are is determined by the most important person in our lives. You know, they tell us that. Who we are and what we are will be determined by the most important person in our lives. Charles Tooley, who's an American sociology king. He is the king of sociology. Developed what is called the looking glass self. And here's how he describes it. A person's self-concept is determined by what he thinks the most important person in his life thinks about him. So the most important person in your eyes, whatever that person thinks about you to a large degree will determine what you think about yourself. The power of words, moms and dads. Now, here's what I want to say to you. 40,000 foot view. Jesus asked every single one of you this one question and you better listen. This is, I mean, this is fundamental stuff. Who is the most important person in your life? Can't be your mommy, your daddy, your husband or your wife. Those are important people, not even your children. Jesus says, it's gotta be me. As a matter of fact, in the gospels, he says, you're all in or stay out. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his mother or father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the word in the Greek there is not the word hate. It's a word that means lesser love. It's a word that tries to say in comparison that you've given Jesus such preeminence in your life that in comparison, it appears that you hate all others but Jesus. What he's saying is that your highest love is for Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear me. Notice how we're right here in simplicity and that's as deep as we're going to go. It is not enough for you to believe in Jesus. It is not enough for you to believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. James tells us this. He believes in the crucifixion. He believes in the resurrection. He believes in the second coming. He even believes in atonement for sin. They believe. Jesus says, you must give me preeminence in your life. I must be the most important thing in your life. Just because you have right theology and go to the right church and the right place at the right time is not enough. Jesus must be given first place in your life before you can be emotionally, psychologically well. If you don't entrust every part of you to Christ, How can you expect him to heal every part of you and every part you leave out that you assume on your own accord? So I ask you, by the way, remember the simple uh, triangle illustration by Plato where you would draw a triangle And he would say at the base of the triangle representing your life, you would write all the things that are important, all the things that you find significant. And as you get older, you go up the triangle and the base gets smaller, smaller, smaller until you get to the apex. And at the apex, there's only room for one thing in your life. Whatever that one thing is, Plato says, that will determine the manner in which you live. So here's my question. If I follow you for the next four weeks and I watch you very carefully, your life, I watch where you spend your time, where you spend your money. If I could climb into your head and think, okay, what are your thought processes? What do you give the greatest energy of your thoughts to? Would I stand back then and say, wow, here's somebody that has given Jesus preeminence in their lives. And because of that, they are emotionally well. If you don't give him that place, it's unfair to expect him to make you well. Now, last week... A lady came and she was in tears most of the service. Something resonated with her. Now, what's interesting about this lady, she was the hardest one to get here, but she came and I could tell something was going on. I saw her Monday morning. She was over having a break and reading her little blue jean Bible. Remember the Bible's with blue jean covers. And I walked over to talk to her. Something is different. And she told me, I can't remember having the peace I've wanted in my life since I was 10 years old, but I came there last week and I heard you talk about reflecting on my life and it dawned on me. I'm not healthy, but I'm not healthy because I've been avoiding God. I'm back. And she asked me this morning, do you know of a good daily devotional? And now all her life is just circling around one idea all of a sudden. She's enamored. Do you know why? She understands until you give everything to Jesus and he becomes preeminent, the peace you're looking for will not be found. Friends, the good news is too, if it's true that you will look at yourself and it will be determined by how the most important person in your life looks at you, think about what happens when you give Jesus preeminence in your life your self-confidence will be off the charts. And you know why? Because he thinks you're fantastic. <laughs> Most people never really grasp the love of God. I have tried my hardest in my years of ministry here, and I think I've failed. I hope that I finally found a quick illustration that will open all of your eyes to the manner in which Jesus sees you. Have you ever seen the play Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberg? It's about an African-American family living in Harlem, The father dies he leaves the family ten thousand dollars ten thousand dollars now that's not a lot but it's a lot in harlem and the mother is sad to lose her husband but elated that she will finally get that little house she's always wanted over in jersey why anybody want to live in jersey i got no idea with the little flowers in the trees and the plants a life dream so she gets ready to purchase the house and the son she has a son and a daughter the son comes to mom and says mom don't do it give me the money I've got a business partner over here and we're gonna go into business. Mom, I've never had anything to live for. I've never had a job and you can change that. Give me the 10,000 and my business partner and I will go and we will make more money for the family, more money for the community. The mom doesn't wanna do it. Sister doesn't want the mom to do it. But how can she deny her son a chance to live, to have reason and to have purpose? Well, you know what happens, right? She gives the money to the son and then his business partner takes the money and leaves town and the money's gone. The son comes back home. He's battered, he's beaten, he's destroyed. And when he gets home, his sister, Baritha, lights into him with great disdain and contempt and says, how could you be so stupid? You've ruined the family, you've ruined our lives. Any hope we had of the life we wanted, you've thrown it away. And it's in the words of the mother to the sister in response to her words to the son that I believe gives one of the greatest impressions of Jesus' love for you. The mother says, I thought I taught you to love him. Love him, there's nothing left to love. There's always something to love. And if you ain't learned that, well then you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried for that boy today? I don't mean for yourself and for your family because we lost the money. I mean for him and what he's been through and what it's done to him. She goes on to say, child, when do you think it's time to love somebody the most? When they've done good and made things easy for everybody? Then you ain't through learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in his self because the world done whipped him so. When you start measuring somebody, child, she says, measure him right. Be sure you know what hills and valley he's been through to get to him and get him wherever he is. Do you know what the Bible calls that? Grace. And you only find it in Jesus. It calls it agape love. Until you stop seeing Jesus as the big bad boss who's gonna smack you over the head with a hammer every time you fail, you will never be emotionally well. You gotta get to the point when you see him for who he really is. Your heavenly father who looks down and says, Jeff, I can't believe you did that. I really can't. If you would just follow my way, you would be emotionally healthy. You would get the things you're looking for. But you know what, Jeff? I still believe in you. It's the past. Now let's go together in the future. He says, there is therefore no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, for those who have given Christ preeminence in their lives. There will never be condemnation for you again only disappointment and despair on Jesus' part to say, I love you. And if you just follow me, it'll work out. Trust me, Jeff, trust me. And you'll be emotionally well. Now, folks, that's the first thing. The past doesn't determine who we are. Listen now, you might be a product of your past, but you don't have to be a prisoner to it. That's your decision. And we know that if we make Jesus preeminent in our lives, that we'll feel loved and everybody wants love and everybody wants significant. Finally, third, listen quickly. And this is progressive, it's sequential. Who we are generally changes when Jesus takes his rightful place in our lives. Don't you find it amazing that whatever Jesus requires of you, he requires it for your own good. You understand that? Same reason I tell my son Delaney, don't play in the middle of the street because I don't want I want him to live the abundant life. And you're not going to live the abundant life if you play in the middle of the street. You might not live life at all if you play in the middle of the street. And you know what? The message of the gospel is this, 40,000 foot view. Listen now, you want to hold on. Remember that blue hole illustration last week? You swing out from the tree and the blue hole swimming hole up in Hampton, Tennessee, where we all went, and you swing out on that rope. And it seemed like a good idea when you left the shore until you get over the water and you realize how far a drop it really is. And then you think, whoa, no, I can't let go. I can't let go. And you just tighten up and you're just tight. Can't let go. Let. And then it dawns on you, I got to let go. If I don't let go, I'm going to be here forever. I got to swim back to the shore. And then you let go. And as soon as you let go, it's like, whoa, man, it's like, wow, this is, whoa. And the, you hit the water, whoa, man, and you fell alive. That's the gospel. You, it is. You hold on to your life, you lose it. You lose your life, you gain it. And there's so many of you men, I see you. I see you because I see me. We're so insecure. I've never met a man yet who said, Jeff, you know, my goal in life is simply to occupy space. <laughs> if, I, if I can just occupy space, I'll be happy. <laughs> we want to be significant, man. We want to know that we're doing, but, but we're gaining significance or trying to in the wrong place by gaining more and more stuff, and our soul knows that ain't going to cut it. Jesus says you, you find your life by letting it go. And when you begin to let go of yours to serve others, it's amazing what happens. You know, the Buddhists have a saying. When a Buddhist monk has one of his parishioners come to him and say, I'm in pain, help me. Now, that's ironic because in Buddhism, pain is an illusion, it's not real. But if you're convinced you're in pain, the Buddhist monk will tell you this. I want you to go from house to house in your community, knock on the front door and say, how may I help you with your pain? And the idea is you'll get so enamored and overwhelmed with helping other people with their pain, you'll forget all about your own. But there's truth in that. You give yourself away. There's internal joy and healing that took place you never thought would happen. Everybody knows the joy of giving once you've given. I went to Zimbabwe with Mark Oakley last year, and we walked around those villages, man, and digging those wells, and those little children would have water and repairing their dilapidated schools, and giving them food, and those children playing. I thought, man, I'm alive. It's amazing. When I went, I was stressed, and I was looking forward for a vacation. When I got there, I forgot all about any problem I had, and I thought, how could I ever complain about anything? How could I ever be upset about how could I have any emotional turmoil? My mom in 1985 came to visit me when I was living and doing mission work in Zimbabwe. She left because she wanted to get away from my dad. Their marriage was struggling, but you know what happened in Zimbabwe? My mother found my dad because she got there and she held the little babies that were dying of AIDS. She saw people in abject poverty, struggling, and she thought to herself, my goodness, okay, I don't have the perfect marriage my husband loves me, not cheated on me. And yeah, I wish he would open up a little more, but my goodness, how could I ever be discontent? And some of you have children in Zimbabwe right now on that team. Hear me when I say this, your son and your daughter are being healed and cleansed over these two weeks. And anything that's been emotional turmoil is being depleted by the power and spirit of God as they give their lives away. And what I'm saying to you, and I said to them before they went, if you want to be cured emotionally and health and vitality, give yourself away and get your attention focused off your sense of entitlement. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen if you do this. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You put the past behind you. Jesus did, doesn't want to hear it. Don't bring it up anymore. Two, give him preeminence in your life. Three, give yourself away. And four, do you know what will happen? You will begin to expect miracles. I knew Pastor Jeff had this thing inside him. I've been waiting for this. When I was in New Zealand, I taught at Lifeway Bible College. What's interesting about that is Lifeway Bible College is a Pentecostal Bible college. And the principal, Trevor Yaxley, said, hey, we heard you're in town and we know your church hasn't started yet. Would you come up and teach theology? I said, well, sure, Trevor, I will. But, you know, I'm not a Pentecostal. He says, that's okay, you talk so fast, the students think you're speaking in tongues, so it'll all work out. <laughs> so I went, up to teach, I went up to teach theology. He said, I want you to give them all different sides. I, I want them to hear your theology and tops of theology. I want you to teach them the scripture. So I did, I loved it. They loved me, we had a great relationship. One day I'd spoken in chapel. One of the kids came up to me and said, Pastor Jeff, God told me to come to you and you're gonna heal me. I thought, well, it would have been nice if God gave me a heads up. (laughs) I have never been around a group of young men and women who expected more from God than that group. They just lived in expectation that God was gonna do something great. I prayed for him. I don't know what his ailment was and I don't know if he got healed. That's not the point of this story. The point is, they opened my eyes. They taught me a little bit more than I taught them. They expected so much that God would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask and imagine. And because they expected it, I'm telling you, God did some great things in the lives of those students and on that campus. And I just wonder if the reason we don't experience the miraculous is because we don't really expect it. Now, here's how I wanna end this message. I talked about Tony Campalo. Let me say again that a lot of the material of sociology I gained from Tony Campalo. I need to give credit where credit is due in case somebody hears the sermon. Hey, you got that from Tony? Yes, I did. I adore African-American preachers. God just gives them a gift, man, of of, of communication. That I mean, they can take one thing and just go with it and bring it to a crescendo so that by the end, I want to get saved and I forget I'm already saved. (laughs) But Tony Campalo says he grew up in an African-American church. And then when you preach in an African-American church, they tell you how you're doing. But he says, there'll be the deacons on the front row. And he says, while I'm preaching, the deacons will go, preach it, brother, preach it. He said, that just fires me up. Over here, there are the deacons and the elders. Some of them, they'll say, help him, brother, help him. Now, when you hear a help him, you know you're in trouble. (laughs) Help him, brother. He said, one time I was struggling. They just kept saying, help him, brother, help. I used to preach at King's Church in Zimbabwe, which is a Pentecostal church. And I start preaching. They'd pray for me like three hours before the service ever started. Wow. I'd be sitting, they'd be sitting right there and they would say, go Jeff, bring it Jeff. Come on now, come on. And that'd just fire you up. It does. Tony Capolo said, I was preaching one time in my church and it all started. And by the way, the women in african American churches will put their left hand over their heart and raise their hand. They'll say, well, well. That's all they say. Well, what? I don't know, but it'll fire you up. So he says, one time I was preaching and I was really on and the better I got, the more they came on and the more they came on, the better I got. He said, I was so good. I began to take notes on me. He said, at the end of the sermon, the place erupted, just erupted in applause. And I sat down by the pastor, the old African-American pastor who had been around for a long time. And he said, did all right, boy. And Kampalo says, I hate it when he calls me boy. So I looked at him and I said, you're going to be able to top that. And the old pastor said, son, you just sit back because the old man is going to do you in. (laughs) And Kampalo said he did do me in. He did me in with one line. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But it's the way he does it. Now, I can't do it like that. I'm going to try to show you what Kampalo showed us but I'm, I'm as wide as they come. I'm sorry. There's no way you're going to de me, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. He said this. He said, he started out by saying it was, it was Friday. It was Friday and my Jesus was dead on the cross, but that was Friday. Sunday's a coming. And the elder said, preach it, brother. And the women said, well. And the deacon said, go on. Caballo said, it started to build. Friday, Friday. Mary's crying her eyes out. The disciples are running in every direction like sheep without a shepherd, but that's because they don't know. It's Friday. Friday. My Sundays are coming. You can see how this would build, right? And we would go, well, go on, brother. He says, Friday. The people are looking at the world and saying, as things have been, they shall always be. You can't change nothing in this world. You can't change nothing in this world. But they didn't know. It was only Friday. Sundays are coming. Now you're catching on now, aren't you? You're right, right, right? Friday, them forces that oppress the poor and keep people down, them forces that destroy people, them forces in control. I'm depending on you, but it's only Friday. Sunday's a coming. On, coming. 1,200 people, Sunday's a coming. Come on, one more chance. He ended, the, he ended the sermon, he said, Friday, Friday, and people are saying, darkness is gonna rule the world. Sadness is everywhere but they don't know. It's only Friday, but now don't you feel better? Don't you? Don't you feel better? Here's the point I want to make. When you take the gospel seriously, when you take the gospel seriously, (laughs) when you take the gospel seriously, listen, now you take the gospel seriously and you put the past behind you. And you give Jesus preeminence in your life and you give yourself away, you'll start to expect the miraculous and you will know that even though this world is full of crud, because it is, you'll know it's only Friday, but Sundays are coming. And now let's pray. That was good. Father, thank you today. Thank you for your love, for your power, for your grace in our lives, for what happens when we submit completely and totally to you, the willingness you have to heal us emotionally, How, if we've been scarred, you can take all that and clean it out. But you're not responsible to bring healing to anything we haven't committed to your care. I pray, Lord Jesus, our eyes would be open. I pray our lives would be changed. And I pray that you would be given preeminence in our church. And among every individual life. And Father, remind us of the hope. That it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me-